the last two episodes, I talked about boardroom strategies and tactics for those who are at the very high end of the organization or at the middle management level within an organization. And I explained how they can best lead their team and their organization to achieve great results when it comes to development and analytics. This episode is going to talk about the developers and how they can utilize specific strategies and tactics within a boardroom setting. And you ask, why in the world would I talk about developers who get called up to a boardroom or an important meeting? Why does this happen? Hey, this is Caleb, and you're listening to the Healthcare Analytics Podcast. With me behind the scenes is, of course, my teammate Tatsuya Murao. So what's going on um, where a senior executive or vice president would ask to see a developer when it comes to a specific project? And one of the main reasons why is because that person who is high up in the organization wants to know what's going on at the ground level. And many times, if somebody who is managing a project does not know what's going on, then they will ask the person that they trust most on the development team. And I've seen this done to great effect when it comes to a variety of different areas. So as an example, I, I've worked with an organization where their accountants would give quarterly and semi-annual reviews to this senior executive team, the CEO, the CFO, and the CTO about their specific uh, department or their specific region. And what this did was gave exposure to the senior executive team and the managers within the organization of how they were doing at the ground level. And that's the same way with development teams. If you have a developer who is presenting on a project within a department and presenting that project to the senior executive team, then that developer will sure do their homework on the specific pieces of the project that are important and that need to be talked about and, and addressed. Before I go on about specific tactics and strategies that developers can use when they're put into a boardroom type situation, I'd like to start with two stories that can help us understand what dynamics are at play here. The first story takes place in ancient Greece, where there was a man called Solon who was known to be one of the wisest men in Greece. And Croesus, who was the king of Lydia at the time, which is modern-day Turkey, he invited Solon to come to his palace. And as Solon came, he entered the palace, and Croesus would essentially show off. He would show Solon all of the riches that he had, all the nice clothes that Croesus was wearing, how his servants behaved so well, the horses, everything, because he was known, Croesus was known to be the richest man in the world. And so as Solon looks at all of this, he looks at it and um, he's kind of not impressed. He looks and he says, okay, that's great, whatever else, as a Greek. And Croesus says and asks Solon, am I not the happiest man in the world? And Solon pretty much says that, you know, 
that fortunes can turn really, really quickly. And to say that you're the happiest or most satisfied person right now does not take into account that your fortune could change in an instant. So Croesus, not happy with that, kind of sends Salon back home and he goes back home. And that's kind of it to where Salon, being very, very wise, sees that Croesus is very, very rich and wealthy, but yet doesn't doesn't look upon that as something to be admired because for every man, their own situations could change in an instant. And long story short, what happens to Croesus is that uh, Cyrus the Great comes and conquers Croesus, and Croesus ends up being burned at the stake. And legend has it that while Croesus was was on the pike, that he yells out, Salon, 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 that he was right, that your fortune, no matter how wealthy you are, can change. But one of the most interesting things I found from the story between Salon and Croesus is that Although Croesus was very, very wealthy, he did not really want to gain wisdom. He was just happy with his wealth and his status without really wanting to achieve more. And what Salon, coming from Greece, which was very humble at the time, and pretty much a a land that was modest at, at best, him coming to Croesus and evaluating individuals for their quality then Croesus as a person really didn't stand out as far as being a virtuous man, etc. But one of the things that I find is that with this whole exchange, it seems to me like Croesus was not willing to learn from Salon. And the only thing that Salon could offer was that although your status is now set, that could very well change in the future. And it did for Croesus because he pretty much got conquered by Cyrus the Great. And that's kind of the end of his history. Um, For ancient Athens and Greece, their history was just beginning at that same time. The second story I would like to impart before I get into specific strategies and tactics and how these stories apply to strategies and tactics is the biblical story of Joseph and Pharaoh. If you don't know this, Joseph was uh, the son of uh, an Israelite who gets sold by his brothers into slavery. And he ends up in prison, but he has this skill set where he can determine a person's dreams and find their meaning. And so Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt, has a dream, but his uh, wise men, they cannot know what that dream is and cannot interpret it. And so Pharaoh finds out that Joseph knows how to interpret dreams and asks Joseph to go and visit Pharaoh. So Joseph goes literally from the prison to uh, the throne of Pharaoh and Joseph helps ascertain the dream of Pharaoh and what it means. And when you read this story, there's a dynamic here between Joseph, who has nothing and is a prisoner, and Pharaoh, who is essentially a god king. And this big gap, um, Joseph does very well to explain in very tangible ways what's going to happen to Pharaoh's kingdom. And Pharaoh's dream meant that at first there will be seven years of plenty, that Egypt will experience an overabundance of plenty where his crops will grow very, very well, and they will have an overflowing amount of abundance. 
But then after those seven years, there will be seven years of famine and starvation where everybody will want grain and want food, but there will be none there because the land does not yield that food. And so based on Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh asks Joseph, what shall I do? And Joseph responded like any good manager would. He said, what you need to do is in the first seven years of plenty, save and store the the abundance of food and grain so that in the later seven years, there will be enough to survive the famine. And because of Joseph's response, Pharaoh made him the manager of the transition between the plentiful seven years and the seven years of famine, that he would be the one second to Pharaoh who would make decisions about everything that entailed the governance of his kingdom. But what does this have to do with strategies and tactics for developers within an organization? I'll give you one strategy and then a few tactics that can follow this strategy. And the one strategy is this. You need to develop a reputation for being a subject matter expert. In the two stories I told, both individuals were subject matter experts in a specific area. Salon was known to be the most famous man of Greece. Joseph was known to be able to interpret dreams. And so when you are needed within an organization or within their case, a kingdom, then everybody knows who to go to. So for example, if Prosa said, hey, I have a question, then the Greeks would say, well, you should go to Salon. He probably knows the answer. And the same with Pharaoh. Since Pharaoh had a dream, somebody directed him to Joseph because Joseph could interpret dreams. And so if you are known to be a subject matter expert in a specific skill set of development, of analytics, etc., then you can be called on to the boardroom in order to help them make a decision that is best for the organization. And so how can you employ specific tactics that can help you become a subject matter expert? The first thing is that you need to put in the work, right? So if there is any project that involves your attention, to be able to dedicate as much of your energy as possible to the success of your individual projects. This will start to give you a reputation of being able to execute and being able to carry out what you've been tasked to do. That's very, very basic, but that's the fundamental groundwork is, can you deliver on a complex project that involves multiple moving pieces and multiple teams within your organization? Can you put all these pieces together and understand how they all go together and coincide? And this tactic I would explain to be to stay focused on your craft. If you're focused on your craft and your skill set, then they can be called up at any given time to show what's possible in the future. And so if you have specific skill sets that are invaluable to your organization and to your team, then it's more likely that they will be needed in the future. So the first tactic is to stay focused on your craft in order to be a subject matter expert. The second is that you want to build a reputation for being able to piece together things that are difficult to solve. 
So if you have subject matter expertise in, let's say, database development and artificial intelligence, then you can understand how these specific dynamics play with each other. And so if a CFO or a CTO has any questions when it comes to AI or database management or whatever, then they can use you as a sounding board to say, hey, is this a reasonable explanation? Is this something that can be done in the future? So if you stay focused on your craft and you are able to use your craft and use it to intersect with other parts of the organization, then you can begin to build a reputation for being highly skilled. The last tactic I'm going to explain is something that is very, very simple, but difficult to do, especially at higher ends of the organization. And that is this, to tell the truth in spite of your head getting chopped off. As you know, it was very, very common in Persia for the messenger to get his head chopped off if the messenger did not deliver good news. And this is no different in organizations. Now, people aren't getting their heads chopped off, but their careers could get chopped down a couple notches or they could get fired based on not giving good news. But the thing is, is that for example, with Salon and Croesus, for example, Croesus just wanted the good news. He just wanted Salon to say, yes, you're the best, you're the most wealthy, etc. But Salon didn't give Croesus that news. Salon said, well, based on my integrity and my wisdom, I have to tell you that things can change for the worst. And even though Croesus didn't like that, that's what Croesus needed to hear. And so if you're able to tell the truth, then your conscience is clear, but also it helps determine if those leaders within your organization are listening to what you have to say. On the flip side, with Joseph and Pharaoh, Joseph interpreted the dream of Pharaoh and told Pharaoh, this is probably what you should do if your kingdom undergoes seven years of plenty and then has famine for seven years. And Pharaoh took Joseph to heart and said, okay, I believe that this is going to happen based on your specific skill set, so make it happen. And you want leaders who are like Pharaoh that say, yep, I, I agree, this is a good assessment, so let's put somebody in charge who knows exactly what they're doing. And sometimes that person who's in charge is you if you're a subject matter expert in that field. So all that to say is that if you develop a reputation for being a subject matter expert, then you can employ specific tactics when it comes to staying focused on your craft being able to use that specific skill set and intersect it with other aspects of technology or other aspects within the organization. And if you're able to do these two things, then develop the ability to be skillful in telling the truth about what you see as far as the situation on the ground. Because many times, a lot of good news gets sent from the bottom to the top of the organization, but within that noise of good news, the information as far as what actually needs to be done can be lost. And so if you can be the kind of person who delivers information that is useful and actionable, then leaders, wherever they are in the organization, will value that and say to themselves, this person is invaluable and is very well needed for the future of this organization. And this strategy and series of tactics can not only help you in your career, but it can also enhance and empower those within your organization who need a fresh perspective 
on how to lead and grow. So if you and your organization need help in identifying future technologies in analytics or development that need to be employed within your organization, then you can always reach out to us at Arcos Analytics. You can reach out to me at Caleb at ArcosAnalytics.com or Todd at Todd at ArcosAnalytics.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Thanks for listening to this specific episode, and I hope that you gained a lot of insights from these past three episodes on boardroom strategies and tactics.